Hey, I'm Tommy Chong. Welcome to High on Homegrown. Yes, yes, everybody, and welcome to High on Homegrown, the cannabis podcast from PersusGrowRoom.com. I've got a lot to get in before the interview starts, so I'll quickly get it done. This one is all about Queen of the Sun. She is a soil guru, know loads of shit about soil, and she does the soil masterclass with our friend Jordan River from Growcast. This is a very cool interview, a long one, got loads of great information in there, and it's just an all-round epic discussion with Queen of the Sun, also known as Alexandria Irons, and you can find her on Instagram. But also, I'm releasing a special interview tomorrow, which will be Thursday. So directly after this episode, we have an interview with Graham Hancock, who is the host of the documentary on Netflix called Ancient Apocalypse. And it's a real good interview, man. So make sure you download that one tomorrow as well. But also, as well as that, we have HLG, Horticultural Lighting Group, our sponsor of Percy's Grow Room, and we've just renewed another year's sponsorship with them. And as a result, we're going to be giving away epic lights every month over on percysgrowroom.com. That's every month. We've got 13 lights to give away this year. So make sure you sign up to percysgrowroom.com, get involved in the community, and come and take part in some of these competitions that are coming up. We have one running already, which is the Heads or Tails comp, and the next one will start on the 1st of March. So get over to Percy's, get your posts up, and you have potential of winning some epic prizes. Anyway, that's it for now. Let's get on with the interview. This is with Alexandria Irons, aka Queen of the Sun. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll speak to you at the end of this. See you in a bit. Yeah, no, thank you for joining us. Uh, we know you through Jordan River. You know, Jordan's a good friend of the show. He's been on many, many times. And we see that you do uh, tours around the USA with him now, doing this soil masterclass. Yeah, it's been pretty fun. Um, Jordan is also a very good friend of mine. I've been producing content with him um, over the last three years or so. And when he approached me to create this class, and tour with him I was just you know it was a perfect opportunity for me to get into the education side more so I'm very grateful for it nice how did you meet Jordan and I just let's see here I met him from Rob his old business partner who was the producer for or host of um, Homegrown Helpers Mm -hmm. and he reached out to me found me on Instagram and asked me to be on his show. And then after our episode, he said, oh, you've got to go on Growcast. And then I've just been a regular Growcast guest for years now. Awesome. Um, yeah. yeah it sounds cool like me just being a guest for years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love it. I just, you know, I try to get on as many people's podcasts as I can so I can you know encourage people to compost really that's my life's goal getting if i can get one more compost pile (laughs) you don't know how happy it makes me when i have people who write me and say oh i was listening to mr grow it or the green table and i have a compost pile now because (laughs) of you yeah it's good to try and inspire people to do these uh environmentally friendly things i think worm farms is my thing i like to try and encourage people to start their own worm farms Oh, yeah. Anyone can have a worm farm. And worms mm-hmm. are so cool. Yep. Kids love worms. 
Yeah, man. Yeah, kids always have worms, you know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, man. It's a, it's a great hobby as well. It's easy to do. You just do getting started off. It can be a bit intimidating. But once people see how easy it is, you know, I, th- I think everybody should have a worm farm, man. It's, it's good. It's good for the planet. I it's agree. good for the soul. You know, so have you been doing the whole organic thing, making compost and stuff for a while then? Um, yeah, I mean, I have been a professional cultivator for the last six out of seven years. This first this last year, I quit growing commercially, but, um, you know, I'm a UC Davis master gardener and composter. I have a degree in natural science. I worked in environmental science before cannabis, and I am incredibly, uh, I'm a, a health nut. I love um, taking care of myself. And um, I remember the first environmental science class in college basically told me climate change and all of these doom and gloom things that were happening were because of, well, a lot of the reason is over extraction of resources and pollution and agriculture is a big part of that. And so it just became you know, my life's mission was like, how can I leave a positive impact on the world and encourage people to, um, you know, to do the same and food production, I love eating, I love animals, I love gardening. So it kind of just fell into place all of my life and smoking weed, obviously. So, you know, roll it all up in one joint and smoke it there. Natural science, man, that must be very interesting to study that. Yeah, well, you know, it's just figuring out the way the world works. I always want to know why. Why does that happen? Why? What are we doing? And that's all natural sciences, really, just exploring how the world works. Mm -hmm. So do you build your own soil? Is that something that you do? You study uh, Elaine Ingram and her kind of work. I have. I've listened to some of her podcasts. Um, I really just read... um, whatever interests me. Like I I love Google scholar and go and read white papers and then like, I'm, you know, Oh, how does uh, mycorrhizal fungi increase jasmonic acid? uh, And what does that do to the plant? What does jasmonic acid do in a plant? And then I just go down a rabbit hole of reading like, you know, 10, 15 white papers and I write articles every month on the things that I'm interested in that I study. And so that's, um, you know, kind of just. So uh, you're there learning how jasmonic acid works and stuff. And I'm there just thinking, what is jasmonic acid? So what the (laughs) fuck is that? (laughs) Um, Jasmonic acid is a metabolite of the jasminate. So that is a group of plant hormones. Um, Jasminates are or were discovered uh, scientifically in 1962 in the jasmine family. So think about, you know, the flower jasmine. Right, right. Um, And they were believed to be the signaling pathway for stress response in plants. And so um, they actually do a whole lot more than that. We know now they uh, communicate other plant hormones. They communicate with other plant hormones in the signaling pathway of plants. And so um, you can see an increased level of jasmonic acid when your plant is induced or in, you know, there's stress around whether it's um, salt stress or drought or heat or over overwatering, um, mechanical injury, whether it's 
from, you know, pruning, trellising, insects bite, pathogens. And so the plant starts producing jasmonic acid to defend itself. And um, this in turn metabolizes into uh, methyl jasminate and other terpenes. And so it increases your terpene levels because we know terpenes are that communication, right, between plants and different organisms. So Mm. um, it's really fascinating because you can trick your plant into producing more jasmonic acid. Um, I'm actually working on a product right now from this that is kind of just a immunity uh, to boost your plant's immune (laughs) system by producing more. (laughs) Yeah. So I'll send you guys some once it's um, ready and available. Nice. Ooh, Immunity cool. as well. Great name. Great name. I like that. Thank you. So this is uh this is what happens when you give your plant like the seven week drought. You know, when it's in flower and it's about seven weeks through, it's good to give it a drought because that'll push out uh more terpenes and stuff. Allegedly. Allegedly. It's, it's still bro science right now, I think. Or I suppose with the uh jasmineites that's going to cause all the terpenes to grow more. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. But I mean, that could be an angle of definitely looking at it, or you could just give your plant more chitin, which is present in what the cell walls of fungus. So having that mycorrhizal inoculation or insect frass. So we're talking high level chitin. Yeah. We're only five minutes in and we're learning more big words. Oh, chitin is just insect shells, Mackie. (laughs) Oh, right, actually, okay. I, I collect cicada shells every year and throw them in my compost bin for that exact reason. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. Um, it actually tricks the plant into thinking that it's being attacked by insects. And so then yep. that jasmonic acid increases. Um, and that's why fungus is actually more closely related to you and I than it is to plants. When it was first um, classified, the scientist, taxologist, taxonomist put fungus into the plant kingdom. But... Uh, fungus actually is more closely related to animal kingdom. Um, And that is, you know, one of the reasons is because cell walls are made of chitin, the same thing that exoskeletons of insects and, um, you know, like seashells and stuff like that. Right, Um, right. So, and then, you know, mushrooms also exhale CO2 Mm -hmm. and inhale oxygen, just like us. So little pesky little guys, those fungus, the fungus among us, man. (laughs) <laughs> now wait a minute um, I'm, I'm i'm a little bit rusty here but isn't hair also chitin i don't know about and your that fingernails I, too right fingernails, fingernails and hair i knew i think fingernails and hair, hair are both made of chitin if i'm not mistaken and i know you can compost hair it's a slow slow process but i do know people who do it and i was kind of wondering that might be Is a it- rabbit hole i need to go into is it creatine? It's keratin. Something like that. Yeah, keratin. Yeah. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Keratin. That's it. Okay, maybe yeah. it's not the same. It's nearly the same. Um, but it says it's. It says <laughs> that under a microscope, it looks very similar. So, right. Right. Um, but yeah, close. Keratin, chitin. You know, the first time I taught the living soil class, I am such a reader. I pronounce things wrong all the time because I just am reading it in my head mm-hmm. a certain way, and I said. Mm-hmm. Chitin. <laughs> Jordan's like, no, 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 no. no it's, it's one of those sayings, isn't it? Don't mock people who mispronounce things because uh, that means that they read it rather than heard it from somewhere. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, there's a few of those words that I have to just stop myself. I'm like, okay, I know I read it this way, but 
how do I say it? Yeah. You got to go look up the actual pronunciation of it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Type it in. Good old Google. Yeah. Yeah. Remember the days before Google? Maybe you don't. How, uh, it's rude to ask a lady how old. <laughs> I'm 31. So, so I... you, you kind of remember the, the pre-Google days. A little bit. I mean, my childhood memories are very vague. Childhood traumas <laughs> block that out. Oh, so. lame. lame. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you first start getting into growth? What made you want to get involved with the natural science? How younger were you when you got involved with that? Um, You know, I was a diehard snowboarder and I've chased snow for the first 10 years of adulthood um, right after high school I just moved to the mountains lived in Tahoe and I saw um, you know I just love hiking I love plants and animals I love foraging I love tracking paw prints figuring out what type of scat that comes from what animal produced that and um, I started seeing the effects of climate change in the mountains and um, I love fishing and I saw our trout populations depleting and really it was just where was I most happy being outside in nature and figuring out how ecosystems work together and how we're impacting them and what that's going to do for our future, our grandkids. Um, and so I just got involved, got started going to college, taking classes, and I had an opportunity with the Nature Conservancy to work for two summers as a science um, intern. And it was amazing. I lived in a trailer on a 2,600 acre nature preserve at 7,000 feet elevation with no other people, no cell phone service, no internet, and just my my dog. And it was amazing. It was beautiful. We like dogs. We like dogs. What what dog? (laughs) Um, I have a pit bull, Huckleberry Hound. Cool, cool. They're great dogs. Yeah, we used to have four dogs. Um, My husband still has a dog, Neptune. But uh, when we moved off of our cannabis farm in California, two of the dogs had kind of um, fallen in love with each other. And one of them lived with us for a year, but he was really my neighbor's dog. It wasn't our dog. He just chose us because he was in love with my dog so (laughs) we actually left them behind together to stay on the farm and they still are happily married um cool cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) so you had a cannabis farm in california yes yeah how how was that Um, how long did you do that for and when did you leave and stuff tell us more about the uh, cannabis farm yeah so i started growing commercially um i had a medical garden before it was rec and it was just medical and we were allowed to have 99 plants Mm. and um I did that in Truckee Tahoe for a couple of years and then um 2018 was the shift to um the rec market and so what happened is Cannabis was legal since 1996 because of Prop 215 in California, but in 2018, it transitioned into recreational, and recreational laws um, gave legislative power to each individual county and city to determine the rules of cultivation. And so where I was living, it was now what was once legal was now actually illegal with legalization. It's pretty um, crazy. So I had to move. 
if I wanted to keep my business going. Like. And I did. I moved down the hill and I started a life. I was the second licensed cannabis farm in Nevada County. Um, and that was a headache of a process to go through. I did all of the licensing myself. And I mean, I was at the Department of Food and Agriculture making public comments and, you know, writing letters to the mayor at every single freaking city council meeting, trying to help shape and like, you know, create this legislation for our local um, laws. And I did have one, one, one thing that I was able to change and that was co2 enrichment and indoors they had no idea they what co2 enrichment was they had written it that it was illegal um because they thought it was like butane like bubble hat like not bubble but like you know blowing mm -hmm. oil BHO, they yeah, yeah yeah they they thought it was bho that carbon you know they they really had no idea and so i was able to explain to them and they changed that which there's studies done by Yale, Stanford, Cornell on CO2 enrichment, increasing yields. And if you're going to have a plant count, a limit, square footage, you know, uh, increasing your CO2 is something that a lot of indoor growers use. And mm -hmm. so I was able to get that changed in the, the law, but that's really the extent of my influence there. It was um, very difficult to keep up with, you know, just metric, track and trace. Um, it kind of took the fun out of growing commercially. Yeah, or, bet, yeah. You know, too many rules. You don't know where you're going to step on the landmine, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And I had um, some difficulties with my partner at the time, and we split ways, sold the farm, and I kind of just um, kept farming but on my own. Um and just transitioned from outdoor, did light depth and light assist. And um, we had two 75 by 20 foot greenhouses on our last farm. And it was amazing. I learned a lot, um, you know, having to take care of 1500 plants at a time, you're, you're really just in it every mm -hmm, day. Mm -hmm. You um, have to be efficient, don't you? Yeah, God damn it. Yes. It takes a long time looking after four. You know? Really? <laughs> well, and then really, that's kind of what, um, you know, motivated me to get out there and educate was seeing all of the other states coming online and prices just dropping drastically from one year to the next. You know, we were getting $1,800 for a pound. And then the next year, outdoors getting offered at like $300, $400. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm seeing this, what's happened in the state of California. And then I'm seeing all of these other states coming online and I have consulting clients all over the country. I really just want to see family farms succeed. And I knew that I wasn't going to be licensed anymore, but how can I help other people stay afloat and see what's going to happen? Because when I first started growing, it cost $500 to produce a pound inside. I can get you down to $40 per pound outside. And so really helping growers get that, reduce their overhead mm. so that they can sustain a business model that will, you know, you have to be able to, to get through this, this initial, the beginning, you're going to get good money, but by the end, it's a commodity. It's not, it's agriculture. You can't expect to keep getting the prices that prohibition inflated. Yeah. 
Yeah, it seems to be a seems to be a big problem for a lot of growers in California now. The massive reduction in price, which goes to the grower. Yeah, over here mm -hmm. you can get uh, ounces for eighteen dollars and shit. Yeah, I've heard that. It's insane. I was paying when I first started smoking like $200 an ounce. Mm -hmm. Oh, in the UK here, we pay, uh, I mean, the prices are going up now, allegedly. I don't know because I don't buy it, but uh, you're looking at like £220 for an ounce oh, of wow. cannabis. Yeah, crazy. Yeah. Everyone should just grow their own. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, That's what we try and encourage as much as possible. You should be growing your own. Uh, Yep. And you're and, supposed to grow your own now. You grow your own personal, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I just moved up to northern Washington, though, so it's completely different. And um, I've got, you know, a little tent grow, just like a, what is it, a four by eight. And then I built out a room in the garage. It's like eight by 16 foot. And I think we'll be able to put some an eight light in there. Um, but my passion is outdoors. So mm. my husband, he was a cultivation manager for a, a large commercial indoor facility in, um, Washington. So his, he likes being inside. So I've kind of just like, you know, he takes care of most of the indoor, but I get to smoke and then outdoor season comes and I take care of the outdoor. Nice. So like a rotation throughout the year. <laughs> Ah, uh, he doesn't get a break. We need to have four harvests a year in the, in the indoor. <laughs> nice. It's good fun, though. It's a great hobby, you know? It really is. Everyone should. I mean, it, the microorganisms that you find in your soil are the same microorganisms that we find inside us that are uh, being studied right now for having an influence on our mood, anxiety, depression. Hmm. We see a correlation between this lack of microbes within us and these mental health issues. And so we're in this society right now where everything is like, you know, hand sanitizer and antibiotics and let's kill the germs but mm -hmm. bacteria kill viruses that, that's mm -hmm. what they do we need them they're the first line of defense for humans and plants and so that's really where that whole you know holistic view of sustainable living soil cultivation it's not just about growing clean medicine for the planet and yourself but it's about doing something good for your body mm-hmm and these microbes, it's, uh, it's something that you cover on the master classes, right? When, you, when you're with Jordan, you do these classes, then you encourage people to bring a teaspoon of their own soil in so you can see what kind of uh, microbes and stuff are living in the soil, right? I wish people brought a teaspoon. Oh, my gosh. They bring full <laughs> jars of soil. <laughs> Here's a 50-pound bag. Go through this if you'd like. Here's my soil sample. <laughs> yeah i mean i i tell jordan so jordan and our our agreement is i teach the class i make the curriculum and i you know i do the show he is a logistics man the tech side you know finding the venue um sending out the emails and the ticketing and i keep telling him are you sure did you put in one teaspoon or a <laughs> tablespoon of soil because no one has brought us a small amount of soil yet. And we've done, I mean, I want to say nine, 10 classes now with 30 to 50 people. So we've gotten like 500 samples of giant bags of soil. And mm -hmm, then at the mm -hmm. end, I'm like, oh no, somebody should be collecting all of this. So then you'd have 
um, a huge variety. <laughs> yeah, the ultimate. Think about the biological <laughs> diversity. This would be all over the country soil put together. Yeah, but I'm just exactly. thinking there, uh, how, how is it for you to have gone from living in the van by the river <laughs> on your own to teaching classes of 30 to 50 people? Oh, you know, that was actually something that this has really been uh, internal growth for me, personal growth. Um, I used to have a lot of social anxiety, just getting so nervous to be uh, in front of a group. But through my volunteering, through Master Gardeners, um, I really got over that. Uh, I started teaching worm, actually, uh, worm bin classes to kids at the county fair and cool. the farmer's markets. Um, yeah, so that kind of was the beginning of the shift to my, um, you know, persona, my public persona of being able to talk in front of people. And when I'm super passionate about something, you can't get me to shut up. So if you just give me a microphone, get me in front of some kids or adults, people who want to know more about science, soil science, cannabis, worms, gardening, ecosystem management, I can just go. So mm -hmm. um, it, it's really, I mean, last trip that we were on, Jordan actually said, you've you have grown so much since we started doing these classes. You're not even nervous at all anymore. And I'm like, no, I'm just excited now. Yeah, you get used to it, don't you? Being up on stage, it's terrifying to be in front of people at first. But when you get used to it, it's it's easy, man. It's, it's good. It's fun, you know, especially when the people enjoy it, too. Oh, yeah. I think that's really getting all of the positive feedback. I mean, it's just that helps. It feels so good to hear that you've made a positive impact on someone's garden and that they appreciate you. And it just fuels you to keep going and do better each time. <laughs> you mentioned something that you volunteer with. Uh, what was it you said? A master class? Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, UC Davis Master Gardeners. Right. What's that? <laughs> Um, so the University of California, Davis, every, actually, I think it's every single county in the United States, if I'm not mistaken, has this program through the university system, um, where you go and you take like four months of classes with different professors and they certify you as a volunteer master gardener to teach, um, classes and write articles and so I would do the classes write articles and I hosted a talk show a gardening talk show where people could call in and ask their gardening questions um cool. yeah it was I love live radio it's so fun you know you get some crazy people that call in yeah I would love to do live radio that's something which I would really enjoy I mean podcasting is fun but to do the live radio where you can have crazy people call in be like, I was abducted by UFOs seven years ago. And <laughs> I would love that shit, man. That was some of my source of my early gardening information uh, was those type of, of radio shows. Mm -hmm. that you're talking about those call-in uh, Master Gardener radio shows. I remember uh, commute home from work every day. I would turn on that show. And I don't know what he would be talking about that day, but something. He'd drop one little nugget on you sometime every day. But that, right. those little call-in things loads of information there's a there's a on bbc radio 4 i think over here in the uk we have this thing called uh gardening time 
And it's like for an hour, you just got these old people talking about gardening. They're always like tomato <laughs> plants. And, you know, but I'm, I'm there listening to it and I pick my kids up from school <laughs> and they're like, Dad, what are you listening to? <laughs> I want to find out how the petunias are doing. <laughs> you know, exactly. I can't wait until <laughs> cannabis is legalized in the UK and we can actually have like radio stations where we're talking about growing cannabis rather than other things. I mean, it's fun to grow other things, but cannabis is my favorite. Yeah, I agree. I like I said the that radio program. I was not allowed to talk about cannabis. Nothing Ooh. with the master gardeners. It was uh, federally funded, so right. I could okay. not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would get away with saying because Nevada County is huge population of growers. There's four to five thousand growers that live in this one single county in California, and so I would say you know like the cash crop that I'm not allowed to name or some like, <laughs> you know, the plant with the so spiky leaves. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So uh-huh. I got to talk about aphids and you know, what to do with your plant when to spray without actually saying mm-hmm. the name. Yeah. Yeah. Like when your tomato plants, not tomato, but your tomato plants should get sick. Yeah, that's what we talked about. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it makes me wonder how far you can take that. Yeah, because YouTube is a, uh, I'm sure you know that YouTube doesn't like you to talk about these kind of spiky plants. And I wonder yeah. if you could get away with it. If you just had a YouTube channel like that spiky plant YouTube channel, never mention the word cannabis or anything like that. But, you know, people know what you're talking about. I wonder how long you can get away with it where YouTube is like, hold on a second. This doesn't make any sense. I know I I don't really know too much about that but I do know when I I've been a guest on a few podcasts that are on YouTube and they ask me not to explicitly say cannabis but I have a Mm -hmm. YouTube channel and I say cannabis and nothing we we do as well so you're good Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) we're pretty open here it's just like whatever will be will be we just talk about it and then if we get strikes or whatever then that's just the way it has to be in it we can always move over to rumble that seems to be our step we're going to be taking so <laughs> i haven't heard of that one it's a it's pretty much bullshit that it's mm-hmm. so um censored it is it's ridiculous especially when it's legal in so many places now and you still can't yeah. talk about it at all it's crazy well, even though it's becoming legal, it doesn't mean the government wants us to have it. I mean, this That's plant cures everything. Mm-hmm. And what is the biggest money maker? It's making us sick and relying on pharmaceuticals. Our food system is devoid of nutrients, it's covered mm-hmm. in poisons. We've got cancer, we've got chronic illness, disease, all of these things that we have to rely on pharmaceuticals for. And so why would they want us to be able to grow our own medicine for a much much lower price than what a pharmaceutical cost absolutely and we've seen that as well there's been reports of states that have legalized cannabis the big pharma companies in those states have have lost like 10 billion in profits on average yeah. i think they say they lose a, a half a billion dollars every time there's a legalization event in a state so yeah that's 50 states it's a hundred billion dollars they stand to lose that's crazy money mm-hmm. so yeah they're gonna fight yep. back it's nuts yeah but yeah. it's our money and I think we should have a choice. You know, that's what I'm after. All I want is the choice, the chance to grow it. If I don't have to grow it, if I don't want to. Exactly. We only get the illusion of choice, I'm afraid. <laughs> really? Really? 
they just make it look like that we are have got something to do with it. Crazy. Yeah, shit, exactly. Man. So you were in exactly. Washington now. Sorry, monkey. No, I was going to ask uh, Alexandra, what, what was your formal education? You said you, you, uh, you work with the Master Gardeners at UC Davis. Uh, were you classically trained in biology or, or did you just pick it up by reading white papers and stuff? Um, I, no, I was trained in natural science um, with mostly emphasis on environmental science and okay. sustainable agriculture. That's cool. That is, that would be a cool field to study. Field, <laughs> no pun intended, right? <laughs> yeah <laughs> it that, was it was great so you'd learn all about uh the damage that's been done to the environment as well you learn about all that kind of stuff i suppose yeah i mean that's what school really is kind of it's unfortunate that the science side is a lot of times kind of doom and gloom mm -hmm. um and so you know i initially became a vegetarian right after i you know learned how much water it takes 1800 gallons to produce one pound of beef and if every single american ate vegetables only one day a week no meat it would be the equivalent of taking every single airplane boat and car off the road for an entire year i was blown away by these statistics and so i really went heavy into learning more about our food systems and agriculture and then I was introduced to Alan Savory, who is um, an ecologist who specializes in reverse desertification in Africa. Cool. And I learned about the predator prey drive in holistic ranch management. And so I started taking classes through this, um, you know, holistic management institution and really learned how. When you mimic nature and these natural cycles, you are working with the environment and you're not depleting it or extracting. And so I started seeing the benefits of, um, you know, you can't have regenerative agriculture without animals. And so I started mm -hmm. eating meat again, eating, you know, grass fed, locally sourced meat. Yes. I also believe if you can't kill an animal, you probably shouldn't be eating meat. Um, but that's another story. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, holistic management really is on this premise of, um, you know, our, our grasslands go through the cycle of big herds of herbivores being chased by a predator and they're running and they're trampling up the grasslands and they're pooping and peeing and mixing this ammonia, mixing it in. And our conventional meat systems are these CAFOs, confined animal feeding lots, where they're stuck in one area over grazing or no no grass at all and fed yeah. soy and corn. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can actually build soil and your microbiome and the biology in the soil by incorporating animals. And I went to a, a regenerative ag conference and I met this gentleman who was... Um, raising ranching cattle on 600 acres with his daughters who are his cowboys or cowgirls in a sense. And so they're actually chasing the cows and he started collecting data, I think like 17 years ago. And he has increased his soil organic matter and sequestered like hundreds of tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere into his soil. 
and built it actually by over a foot of topsoil. Damn. From... Yeah. In 17 it's years. Amazing. That's cool, man. That's... Yeah. I think very, I, I've seen that cool. TED Talk somewhere uh, around. I, I do remember a few years ago listening to a TED Talk that advocated something very similar to what you're talking about. It basically said that, that our, our uh, game targets are, are ridiculously low and then our... our uh, our raised animal targets are ridiculously high that we need to be somewhere in the middle so that when, the, when a herd of animals overgrazes a piece of land that they're free to leave and let it alone for a while and let, let all their waste and all their disturbance do their thing and let that piece of land recover but the herd goes over and grazes somewhere else. And this was the natural cycle of the earth once at one time was the animals work mm -hmm. with the earth. And now we've, we've fenced it all in and we've turned it into private plots and animals don't move and the soil mm -hmm. is dying. Yep. Exactly. It, it, you can. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Canadian standoff. <laughs> it is. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Ladies first. Okay. I was going to say you can actually mimic these cycles um, with electric fencing. Instead of having cowboys chasing and herding, you can just, even in small paddocks and on your own land, if so if somebody's listening to this and is interested in animals, you don't need a ton of space to mimic this natural cycle. You can quarter off a couple acres with electric fencing and move them from, you know, a quarter acre to the next quarter acre to the next one. And you can have much higher animal density. I mean, like conventional farming i believe it's like two head of cattle per acre when you're just letting them sit but you can do like four times that if you're moving them um mm -hmm. constantly and i think it's like every three to four days you can move them on this you just have to allow them to you know let the grass grow back a certain amount so um it's very, very interesting. Joel Salatin from the Polyface Farm in Virginia, uh, he does a TED Talk on it. It might be the one that you're talking about. And um, very, very cool things that he's doing. And then it's like bringing in the chickens to the pasture after the cattle have grazed mm -hmm. because the chickens will then eat the maggots. And he's he knows exactly how many days um, that it takes for the maggots to get to that the biggest size before they turn into flies in the cow patties so that his chickens are consuming that and they're scratching apart the cow patties incorporating that back into the soil and then he's yeah. moving i think even pigs afterward yeah man that's real farming that is yeah i'm that's all about mean. incorporating the animals i had goats and chickens and i fed all of my fan leaves when we were doing big defoils and harvest time, it went to the chickens and goats and then all of their manure was composted and then put back into our gardens. It was really amazing to see that cycle. Nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of what, what Swami talks about the way he grows in Northern California. He tries to keep his water you know, as, as closed loop as possible, keep his nutrients as closed loop. Sounds exactly like what you're what you're advocating here. Let work with nature, work with all your allies, let them do the work and you reap the benefits. Exactly. And your soil just gets better and better after every year. It's it you does, know, I, doesn't I, it? Oh yeah. I tell people if you grow in native soil, living soil, and you're putting back, it's like a savings account that you're gonna reap more and more benefits the longer you, you put into it. Whereas when you're fertilizing with synthetics and salts, it's 
it's not, it's, you have to pay for it every year. Even potting soil, uh, indoor organic potting mix is, you're going to have to keep spending money. You're going to have to keep putting inputs into it. Whereas when you're outside in the ground, native soil, building that up and working with the ecosystem, man, you can get your costs so low. And it's just amazing to know your land and be like, oh, I know this is when the, the, the ladybugs hatch and come out at this time of the year. This is when the lacewings are going to lay their eggs. I know when the flowers are blooming and attracted, you know, this different species or when the rains come, when's my first frost and last frost really being in tune with your own ecosystem. I mean, imagine if humans talked more about where they were from as, um, what watershed they were a part of or what, you know what I mean? Like if we were much Mm -hmm. more in tune with what was going on around us and how that impacted us versus these imaginary lines and rules that were just created by somebody before we were even born. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All politically and arbitrarily placed for no, no apparent reason. Crazy stuff. It really is. And then people think well, I'm crazy, kind of, you know, talking about this. They're like, oh, you know, extreme. And I'm like, you're extreme. This is fake. You're letting somebody control your life <laughs> and tell you what to do. And oh, God, I hate being told what to do. <laughs> you sound a lot like my daughter. A lot of what you've said today so far reminds me of my daughter, uh, the vegetarian things and all those things alike. But yeah. And she's also out there on the West Coast. Fancy that. So it must be, right? um, yeah. She's like, well, this is where it's all at. People over here are mm. listening. So I'm going over there. Okay. Have good. you ever seen Alexandria and your daughter in the same room? No, mm. actually, no, because they're during mm. completely different parts of the West Coast. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> no, I can, I can actually see it happening. Because you know, she's also into the into the earth and the hiking and, and boating and, and climbing and all that other stuff like that. She loves nature and she hates sitting inside. Oh, man. Sounds like a woman after my own heart. That's what I said. Everything you've said, I'm going like, wow, this sounds like my monkey. You know, <laughs> she's the little monkey. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. So when it comes to growing, I mean, with these soil masterclasses and stuff, when you're looking at people's jars of soil rather than their teaspoons, what is it you're looking for? Well, we put it under the slide and I got the microscope out, but I also go through um, how you can just look at your soil and, you know, tell some things about it from like the color um, and how it feels in your hand, how it smells. Um, These are all things that are indicative of organic matter. And, um, you know, if it's gray or bluish tinted, let's say it's natural native soil, uh, um, then you would determine hey maybe it kind of smells a little bit like sulfur this is uh what is this this is lacking oxygen maybe this was an ancient um you know a a bog or a swamp at some point i had a guy you know bring in a i'm specifically talking about a a gentleman who brought in some bluish soil and so that was a great example of how we can just use our senses to determine what's going on in our native soil but the majority of people are bringing in potting mix um I would say that 25% to 35% are native soil, but the majority of people are growing in potting mix. And that's, that's a huge difference between potting mix and soil. Soil is 
45 to 55 percent minerals that's mm. rocks that's what uh, our nutrients are all derived from right uh, mm -hmm. that's the organisms are breaking it down chelating solubilizing it with their enzymes and acids and in potting mix it's just the organic fraction of soil and so that's all of your organic matter and that's why you have to replace it and feed it every year after year because those minerals it's not 45 it's not half mineral content so when I look at it under the microscope, this is really good for me to show, hey, look at this native soil and how you can see all of the silicate and quartz and uh, mineral content that's here. And then look at the potting mix and it's super sparse aggregate. The particles are super far apart and there aren't all of those mineral shards. It's majority um, organic matter. And then, you know, obviously we're looking for bacteria, fungus protozoa and nematodes. And so you wouldn't believe what it's like when we get a nematode on screen, swimming around, eating bacteria. It's like the crowd goes wild. They want to take pictures <laughs> with it. I like chasing it around on the microscope, trying to like keep it in focus and in frame. Selfie with the nematode. <laughs> cool. um, really, really cool. So it's just like, you know, showing people um, that you can't, that don't be afraid of planting in the ground outside. You're going to save a ton of money. You look at all, I, I get to show them how much more life you wouldn't believe. Uh, some people bring in this dry red clay from Oklahoma or Illinois and think, oh, this, this patch of ground, I've never done anything with it. And we put it under the microscope and it is teeming with life. There's bacteria and fungal spores and fungal hyphae and nematodes and protozoa. And then when you see the um, potting mix that is all indoors, it's predominantly just bacteria mm. and fungal spores, no hyphae. You're not seeing the spores actually growing out. And I'm like, are you mulching or how, what's your water? You know, it, it's like they're buying these products and putting it in there week after week, but they're not creating the ecosystem for the life to proliferate. And that's really mm. where my background in environmental science and ecosystem management is. I'm like, hey, look at this pot as an ecosystem and every single ecosystem has a carrying capacity and what is that that carrying capacity is the amount of resources available to sustain a population so if you want to have more bacteria more fungal hyphae and mycelium growing and protozoa and nematodes you need to provide the resources and habitat for them to actually live so mm. really that's what we're looking at under the soil it's like are you providing this what what's going on here i see a ton of spores but i haven't seen a single fungal hyphae strand what does that mean that means that it's not it's not suitable environment for those spores to actually grow out and and what are you what are you missing then you you can get phosphorus conversion with mycorrhiza you can get increased jasmonic acid with mycorrhiza you can have you know nutri i i compare the mycelial network is like the collective consciousness of the earth. Um, when you you see things in the universe that are very um, reflective, you know, like Fibonacci sequence, everything has a pattern and reflects in nature on the macro to the micro. And so um, mycelium of the fungal network that's growing throughout our world is this, this very similar to our brains, right? Our neural pathways and the synopsis triggering, it looks very similar same thing as the internet right so mm -hmm. it's this this information this spread of nutrients water information one tree in the in the forest 
can be attacked by pine bark beetles and it has a relationship with that mycorrhizal network and acres away that mycelial network can convey information and say hey there's pine bark beetles coming in there, that happens in so many different instances with different plants different organisms and so having that there is like it's like a cheat code for your plant this is how it evolved plants have been around for 250 million years we've only been around 250,000 why are we trying to change it so much and grow in such unnatural ways why not just learn the processes mm-hmm. and set it so up so arrogant you know it's the human species and our ego thinking that we know best oh yeah yeah and everything so how can we bring like the, these ecosystems indoors because most of the uh growers that listen to this show would grow indoors is there a way that we can make our indoor soil in our pots uh, as yeah, close I, as the- possible to outdoors the bigger the container you, that you can, like mm. I have a four by eight bed in my four by eight tent. Nice. I mean, I maxed out completely. And the more volume you have, the more resources are available. There's more, the more um, microorganisms there are going to be. And then you're, you're mimicking that, um, that availability of plants to communicate with each other through root exudates and terpenes because different plant species will give off, you know, like linalool will increase in the cannabis plant when linalool is present in other plants, like in lavender or strawberries. Mm. And so intercropping, I am a big fan of um, growing like permaculture a guild you know so your cannabis is the big the top story and then maybe you're incorporating some basil and strawberries and oregano or uh, thyme is really good i like to stick to herbs and things that i would use in my house that are also known pest products like (laughs) mammoth peas canatrol i believe is like thyme oil um you know so why not Grow the things that are being used in these products as pest preventative in your garden, and then you can also use it in your kitchen as well. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely ways to mimic nature. And I'd say bigger container, more species and biodiversity. And then if you can, if you're comfortable, bring in a little native soil because that's going to break down. You're going to get the terroir of your local environment and you're going to have more mineral content there. There's a ton of minerals in soil. Mm-hmm. like getting it from really me a composter yeah 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 i mean we, compost is like the easiest way for people to just bring in those indigenous microorganisms i have people all the time asking me about like you know the knf stuff like the imos and um i met chris trump this past summer and he he actually cool. came to one of my classes and he and I talked a lot about the imos and i watched his talk on it and i'm like man that's a lot of work to make a box and feed you know do the rice and go out into an ecosystem and then bring it back i'm like Mm -hmm. i just compost yeah composting is yeah composting is very easy when you know how if you can get that balance right but unless you actually do the comparison of the imo to the compost we won't know so i've done the compost and recently in an interview with Chris, he's tasked me over the next year to try, try the IMO. And uh, so that, that, that's on my list. I'll get to it sooner or later. Me too. Me too. It is. Yeah, but- I, I'm interested in like the uh, old growth forests and maybe, you know, finding 
microorganisms that aren't readily available in our, you know, neighborhoods and suburbans mm, because right. we've had all of our topsoil, the six top top six inches is where most of our microorganisms live. And if you live in a neighborhood, most of that was scraped out. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, most of that's yeah, they take the good stuff out of the neighborhood when they build it. I learned that. All that topsoil that was in a the neighborhood, they completely sell that off and they they build your your property and then they put in the nice fresh bill sand, which has got nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. We watch it every, every time they build a house around here. We just marvel at that. Like you took all the good stuff. Yeah, it's pretty sad. And yeah. I, I, I tried growing outdoor last year in my native backyard suburban soil. And I had, I was just curious, like, you know, what, what if I throw some veggies out here? What's going to happen? Cause in California, my land was so fertile. I had a, 500 square foot garden that produced all year round without like having to do anything, just throw some compost, compost out there, seeds, and it kept going and it reseeded Mm. itself, grew all year. Washington in the suburb, no topsoil, it all scraped away. My potatoes did nothing. I mean, it was so sad to see all of the things that I could grow so easily with very minimal effort in California, just really not do anything here. It's a shame, isn't it? I've often wondered about going up to the woods and getting getting some soil from up there. But we was discussing this with uh, Tad Hassey the other day, and he, he was saying that it's probably going to be too uh, silty, got too much clay in it to have good drainage. But to try and find that fine balance between the, a nice soil that cannabis would enjoy and the outdoor soil would be the best way to go. I love clay. I'm a huge fan of clay. I think clay is amazing. <laughs> it has the highest cation exchange capacity of any of the soils. Uh, it, it just it has a lot to it. Those p- small particle size gives off an electrical charge, so it attracts water to it and nutrients. Um, but you know, no understanding. Okay, so like on my Patreon, which is like you know the little membership subscription, I go through mm-hmm. different. Um, testing methods that you can do yourself. And I actually, I, I, you know, challenged a couple of years ago, my patrons to go out and test your native soil. And, you know, you take soil and you shake it in a jar with water and like detergent, and then you let it settle for 24 hours, take a ruler and you measure the different layers. And each of those layers is actually sand, silt, or clay. And then you can Mm -hmm. take that and you can look at the little, you know, rectangle and see where your native soil falls in that chart. And then you can build your soil up differently according to what, um, you know, what soil type you have. But with clay, you're really just needing to be aware of compaction because, Mm -hmm. you know, tiny particle sizes. But if you're treating your clay really well and giving it love not walking on it after it rains giving it lots of compost cover cropping daikon radish to break up the any compaction rye grass over winter doing these things your clay is going to give you back feed your plants more nutrients than any of the other the soil types so people are nervous about clay i love clay Mm -hmm. it's just because of the drainage aspect i think Mm, it sounds like a I should be going out there to get some soil from the woods then, especially <laughs> this time of year, because this, this is where all the good good nutrients are all locked up in it from over the winter time when all this shit's fallen off throughout the autumn, decomposed, and all the nutrients made its way into the soil. 
But that shit's going to be awesome for growing, man. Yeah, I mean, think about like um, Alaskan humus that you buy at the, you know, garden center. What is that? That's just forest floor from Alaska. And, you know, do you know why they they use it from Alaska specifically? It's cold. No. It's frozen. <laughs> the, the world's largest nitrogen cycle actually occurs um, in Alaska because of the salmon run. All right. Hundreds and thousands, hundreds of thousands of salmon go out to sea for four or five years and they're getting all of those amazing sea nutrients and then they come swim back upstream in the PNW, Alaska, Canada, Washington, and they, you know, they die there after spawning and the bears and eagles and osprey are consuming the carcasses and bringing them into the forest and we're actually seeing a huge impact on our pine forest health in areas where the rivers have been dammed and the salmon spawns haven't been able to occur because of uh, all of those amazing amino acids and nitrogen it's really quite fascinating such a delicate balance isn't it yeah you, you know everything that we do triggers something and we mm. just don't pay attention the butterfly effect. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't know if we just don't pay attention, but frequently we try and elude, uh, delude ourselves that we're not doing any damage. It's, that's a stupid thing. It's like, well, you have to do is look. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's like ignorance is bliss. So maybe they're not, it's not that they're not paying attention, but they're just don't want to see what's happening or don't correlate it. You know, right. oh, it's... it couldn't be, couldn't be because of what we did. It's the, the the denial that fossil fuels are going to kill the earth and all that other good stuff. You know, we have the evidence. We we have to do something about these things. And the soil is the same way. You know, we know that we're killing the soil. We have to fix this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they said that there's 60 years left of harvest in the soil with how yeah. we are treating it. That means your grandkids wouldn't even have a full life cycle. And you know, that's that's stupid. That's just crazy. Yeah. We have to fix this. Mm-hmm. It's shocking what yep. we've done to the planet over the last fucking hundred years, man. It is. It's amazing. I mean, astounding. Just a hundred years since the Industrial Revolution, the change in the CO2 and, you know, we're, we moved out of what, the Holocene? And now there, I remember when it was happening, we're now in the Anthropocene, but they wanted to, one, it was up for like vote of what we would call this new epoch. And they're like, should we call it the plasticine? Because so much <laughs> plastic is everywhere now. Mm -hmm. that, that might actually be right. Just call it fucked. That's what it is. <laughs> really? Oh, wow. <laughs> now, I think there will be technology in the future. Well, I hope at least that there will be technology in the future that fixes the problems a little. You know, we seem to be getting more conscious of the uh, problems that we've been causing over the last 100 years and the people are starting to make a difference i think do you, do you feel the same way or do you think we're gonna just keep heading downhill oh no i i'm a positive ray of sunshine i want to believe <laughs> that people are inherently good and that they want to help each other but they're so caught up in the scarcity mindset that capitalism puts onto us that mm. um they they get too wrapped up but i think that when they start seeing um immediate impacts on their life you know we're seeing that with the cost this rising inflation um seeing an increase of people who are wanting to grow their own fruits and vegetables mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. um 
you know, like you said, the technology, I, I see now there's so much more technology to collect the data to provide and show us what's actually happening. Um, they're using like LIDAR imaging with drones to go over forests and a, a forest in the West that looks completely healthy. They can pick up with this LIDAR imaging, um, you know, drought stress. And it's because it's like a, uh, imaging of the water that's actually in the trees and so even though these trees look like they are healthy from the outside now we have the technology to see hey this area is in higher impact of an extreme forest fire because it is so severely drought impacted how can we take this information and implement um forestry techniques to perhaps like go out and thin this section of the forest that is a higher risk of fire you know so mm -hmm. i i see it happening and it's just getting people to stop freaking watching the news because that's all bullshit and oh, get yeah. people out there in the community talking to people getting boots on the ground and seeing what's actually happening i'm a huge proponent of volunteering going to your local city council meetings going to your whatever it is that interests you get involved get off your fucking phone get off your ass and get involved in whatever it is that and if there isn't something that's going on that you're interested in start it be the mm -hmm. one be the change yeah man i like it i like your attitude you know too many people stuck on their phones nowadays even though the majority oh, yeah. of people listening to this podcast right now are probably listening on their phones <laughs> so keep listening <laughs> yeah so don't put your phone down yet not yet <laughs> <laughs> but it is a big problem man it is a big problem for sure people are getting they're less aware of their surroundings and they need to be aware of it they need to know what's going on and they need to know how amazing nature is and how much of a fine balance this shit is because it's really? going to get all mixed up pretty soon and the scales are going to go in the wrong direction if we carry on the way we're going yeah i mean we think that we're going to you know have this huge impact on the earth but the the earth is going to have a huge impact on us mm -hmm. we will mm -hmm. not live if we keep fucking up the yeah, earth will right. be fine mm -hmm. that's right it's like george carlin said isn't it? It was, when it's done with us it will shake us off like a bad case of fleas and with the environmental thing you know we have a listener question that uh hopefully this doesn't freak you out too much but this comes from phil uh he wants to know in california it's now legal to compost your body if you want to get it done is that something you would ever consider doing if your state allows oh it? yeah oh yeah washington actually allows it and i had a good friend last year um of the community of the cannabis community where i lived and he died and he it it wasn't legal in california last year but it was legal in washington and so they sent his body up to seattle and he was turned into compost and then shipped back down and so that he his body could grow a cannabis plant and nice. wow. um, <laughs> roll me up and smoke 100%. me when i die <laughs> exactly there you go. i think i i would rather be um uh a redwood tree or something that lives for 3000 years. Yeah. I get mm, it. Now mm. I've heard about these. Uh, I don't know if you've from a few years back, there was an article about a company that it's making coffins out of mycelium so that it will speed up the decomposition of the body when, after you're buried in them. So that was an interesting oh, wow. way of thinking about that. Like, I don't know if the company's still around. They did have a few customers in the beginning, but you have to have enough to actually make it worthwhile. I think that the idea is, 
so new, it maybe creeps people out a little bit. Yeah, we have a very weird, our Western mentality on death is very, very taboo and we don't want uh -huh. to talk about it. And I get um, it. But I am all for composting or turning my body into a tree or um, having the mycelium eat me and pass on my energy. Um, really? I'd rather be part of the earth again. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's like energy always continues. You cannot end it completely. So why not do something, contribute to something that you're, you know, you're interested in. You're going to get eaten by the worms either way. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can, uh, you can embalm yourself and trying to preserve yourself and mummify yourself. And you might live for a few thousand years, but or not live, but you may not <laughs> decompose for a few thousand years, but eventually the universe will get you. Mm -hmm. I like the it. idea of being worm food. Uh, that, that's that works. Right, really. That works. Yeah, then you can be part of the worm's life, you know? It's not we like are... I like the idea. It's not, I don't want that anytime soon, but you know. <laughs> Well, <laughs> when you think about it, I'm just a container for for billions of lives. If you want to look at my microbiome, mm, you know, mm -hmm. I get to make I get to make the choices, or I think I get to make the choices for a thousand million billion beings here. So maybe I need to let everything go back to the earth when I'm gone. Maybe you should just leave it up to them. They can make the decision. Hey, they will. <laughs> when I'm gone, they will make the decision. That's what compost is all about. It's their house. It is. And they'll put it exactly where they want it when I'm when they're when I'm done with it. Yeah, it's crazy to think about eh? just yeah. this the circle of life, you know, the word that was yeah. invented in the Lion King. The circle of life. I've always <laughs> thought that I would like to die in some kind of like grizzly bear attack, shark attack, <laughs> some kind of crazy story with some animal just or, you know, freak accident out in nature. I think that that would be, you know, an interesting way to go. Be yeah. a, a very natural way to go. Yeah, I mean, think about it, though. You spend uh, thousands of dollars on a, on a cemetery plot and you have a big fancy gravestone made and they plant you in the ground. And they, after the ceremony is over with, nobody comes and sees it. So why did we do that in the first place? Mm. It just doesn't make any sense. You know? Could have been a hey, good meal for a hungry animal. <laughs> could, exactly. Or a hungry microbe or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just we're so our, our ego. And that's why I love psychedelics, because it sheds the ego that we as humans are just so self-obsessed and absorbed with our own stories in our heads that we matter so much. And when you can just shed that ego and realize, like you're saying, we're all connected. I mean, how many microorganisms are within each and every one of us and our impact, it's that butterfly effect, it's rippling out. And so shedding the stories, the limiting beliefs, the, the veil of the ego is so important. And, you know, that's why I think everyone should be eating psychedelic mushrooms, mm -hmm. ayahuasca, San Pedro, LSD, whatever I'm it saying, is, everyone. That's my shit. That's my <laughs> shit. You know, everything you just said hit me on that last acid trip. So yeah, damn right. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely put shows you, it puts you in a in a, a headspace to, to see your place in this universe. And uh, it's something that was painful to experience in a way, but yeah, I get it now. Yeah, I mean, that's was one of my biggest pushes to get into natural science and environmental science was I started doing a lot of acid. And I was like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> 
Yeah, do you do many psychedelics now? Is it still something you do? Um, not um not a lot because ever since I had a baby, it's just been a completely mm -hmm. different mm -hmm. headspace for me. Oh yeah. Um so I really I used uh psychedelic mushrooms as um my antidepressant and microdosing for postpartum depression and it really, really helped. Mm -hmm. um i started growing psychedelic mushrooms this past year it's legal and i taught at a mushroom festival and i thought that i was going to be learning how to grow like shiitakes or something i paid 30 Fuck bucks i was like oh cool yeah. golden teachers is what it's all about man <laughs> yeah i got vietnamese teachers and i got four flushes from the mono tub and i learned how to grow them and i've been um I really, like I said, I just do microdosing. Sometimes I'll take a little bit, a little bit more. Um, mm -hmm. But it's definitely mushrooms are more part of my life now. I haven't done acid in years. Mm -hmm. That's like a trip. Yeah, that then, I need. you need to book a weekend <laughs> off for that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have time for that, but I can take some mushrooms on a, a day where me and my husband have some time alone. And grandparents are babysitting or something, but mm -hmm. um, it's definitely important. I think that mushrooms are quite possibly, well, all, not even mushrooms necessarily, but entheogenic plants are um, a huge part of human spirituality, including cannabis. And that I think that um, we have, you know, we don't have these, these prophets nowadays. We don't have people who have, are seeing angels and, um, well, we do, they just get locked know. up in prison. So it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But if we were to incorporate and recognize, Hey, like the burning bush and Moses and mm -hmm. the, um, uh, what is it called? The tab the tabernacle or the, the thing that they built was made out of acacia and the acacia bark has DMT in it. And mm -hmm. it's like all of these things are such a huge part, in my opinion, of the human experience of human culture, religion, spirituality, arts, creativity. And we have been we're just starting to get out of this prohibition era just barely. But it's like oh, you are. You know, <laughs> I'm still in it. So is Monkey, unfortunately. Oh, it's man. I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you're just rubbing it in now. It's not cool, you know. <laughs> I'm only joking, obviously. Yeah. Shit. It's so shit, man. It's so shit. It really is. Everyone should be allowed to grow mushrooms, grow mm -hmm. cannabis, eat mushrooms. Oh, cannabis. do anyway. You know, fuck them. <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly. not letting them tell me I, I can't. Shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew some mushrooms this year as well. I grew some uh, golden teachers, and they they wasn't delicious. I'll tell you that, but you know I enjoyed them all the same. <laughs> yeah, I'm I much prefer grinding them up and mm. putting them in capsules. Oh yeah, yeah. That's it. I've I've ground mine it. up. I just uh, I haven't got capsules. Keep me need to get a shitload of capsules and fill them up, but I never do. <laughs> just still got a shitload of ground up mushrooms here. You know, just take a spoonful. Fucking that mess you up, damn! But don't they <laughs> oh, taste man. so bad? Oh god, it's so bad. It's even smelling them. I'm like, oh god, I don't think I can do it. But you know, you you don't regret it once you're taking them. They are great fucking things to eat. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Very healing. Yeah, they are. You know, just just a little bit more intense than uh, cannabis is. I think. 
you know? So. Yeah. I mean, I've had some intense experiences with cannabis as well with mm. just anxiety. And I'm really, like I said, ever since I had a baby, my mindset has completely yeah. changed. And, mm -hmm. you know, having a responsibility for another life is so much pressure mm -hmm. that I can get overwhelmed. I, I hardly smoke at all anymore. I'm edibles mm -hmm. only pretty much edibles, tinctures, salves, um, dabs. When I'm on my trip out with Jordan and I don't have that immediate response to have to take care of a life, then I smoke and get high. But when I'm at home, I am so nervous after I smoke that something my two-year-old is going to fall down the stairs or mm -hmm, mm -hmm. break, a, you know, break a bone. And then I go to the hospital yep. and I'm super yep. high. And then they're like, you're a bad parent. You're, we're taking your child or whatever it is, mm -hmm. even though it's completely acceptable for women to get drunk and drink wine in yep, front of their right. kids. But I'm a bad mom. If I'm smoking a joint around my child at the beach or something, it's yeah, like yeah. shocking in it. Mm -hmm. it's so backwards so, stupid yeah mm -hmm. it's the same the edibles, the same thing though. for me as well is uh i don't like getting too it's like, like the acid thing like we mentioned acid days i wouldn't do acid now i have kids to look after i haven't got time exactly. to spend the fucking whole day tripping my balls off on acid that's crazy <laughs> talk you know at any point my kids could fall down the stairs or have an injury where they need me to drive them somewhere or need me to be really a responsible parent and I need to always make sure that I'm capable of doing that. You know, there's a certain level of mashup you can get to, but you always have to know not to go too far. And acid would take you too far. Yeah, and it seems oh, like yeah. cannabis is a good one, though, because cannabis, in an emergency, the adrenaline seems to let you shake the effects mm -hmm. off pretty, pretty much. Know, sure. It does me, at least. Like the door knocks and it completely ruins your high. Oh, it's, it, it can. it's just the pizza guy. <laughs> Perfect example. Yeah. <laughs> I heard a car door slam. What was that? Yeah. I, I, like I said, the edibles are my preferred consumption now. And some people, it's funny, um, you know, it doesn't affect them at all. And I think it's because of an enzyme um, that they either they do or they don't have that processes it really quickly. Or hmm. I, I'm not sure I've read about a few different hypotheses why edibles don't affect people. But I just love how gradual an edible is where you eat it and then you're like, oh, yeah. I forgot I ate that. Oh, I'm yeah. feeling a little high. Oh, yeah. wow. I'm really high. But I've had the opportunity to like slip it on like a glove, not like a dab where I'm just like, bam. Oh, man, mm -hmm. I'm really high. Mm -hmm. It sounds like my uh, my typical morning around here is like, oh, I think I'll double can of coffee this morning. And next thing you know, it's like, damn, I really am high right now. But, yeah. It's just <laughs> Like you said, though, it creeps up on you and you all of a sudden you stand up and move around. It's like, whoa, OK, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm there. It's hit me. Yeah. I mean, you can definitely take it overboard. I've had some uh, experiences actually this past year on the trip um, to New York. Somebody made me edibles because I always talk about how much I love them. And I, you know. Jordan was like, oh, I should have warned you. You never eat the edibles they give you because you just don't know what, don't eat it all, just taste it. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I ate a whole cookie and I didn't know it was an RSO cookie. It was probably a 1, 1,500 milligrams Ooh, in the cookie itself. Oh. I, that was bubble hawk, that was. was. Oh my God. <laughs> the studio oh. is chocolate sandwiches, you know? <laughs> 
it was horrible. I was so high. I was shaking, like, you know, the weed shakes in the middle of the night. Like, mm -hmm. oh, my God. Damn. Uh, yeah. 24 so hours. I had that. Wow. wow. Miserable. Yeah. yeah, you've always got to it make was. your own, I'm afraid. Then you just know the dosage. Yeah, just... I mean, I, I, I this past trip in Virginia just a couple of weeks ago, somebody made edibles, too, and gave them to me. And I, I was like... I'll just have a little bite. And I had just this small little piece of a brownie and it was perfect. I was so happy because I had a little bit of the PTSD from the last experience. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. um, and Jordan's like, Oh no, you did it again. If you get <laughs> too high, that's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Those meetups can be kind of dangerous sometimes because mm -hmm. people do that on purpose. They'll bring the extra strong stuff because they're impressing you with it or something. Mm. But I don't particularly no. enjoy an extra strong edible. It, it's too much. Yeah, I'd, no, ra thank I'd rather you. I'd rather have two mild ones. That way, I mean, at least I know I did something. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I made so, a infused. I like doing hash infused into my edibles, mm, so it's delicious. not. Um, so I did like a bubble hash, decarb the bubble hash and then melted it down into coconut oil and then mixed that with white chocolate and then dipped that over pretzel rods. Mm. <laughs> Damn. So good. Okay. I'm, I'm on the way. Yeah. Marge would be so proud. You know, <laughs> we have a panel member, Marge is one. She's the host of a show called bite me, the show about edibles. And she has loads of different uh, recipes for different, uh, cannabis edibles and how to dose it and all of that stuff. Real good podcast. You should check it okay, out if you don't listen to it. Check it out. Yeah. Now, I'm sure Definitely. she'd love, love to have you on the show. If you love edibles, she, she can talk about edibles all day with you. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. I could talk edibles all day, too. I love it. I yeah. love making edibles. They, they hit me really hard, so I don't do edibles very often. But I, I don't use cannabis very much anymore. I used to be a hardcore stoner, and I used to smash through cannabis daily, all day, every day, lots of weed. But I uh, quit smoking about a year ago, so now we just vape on the odd occasion and uh, sometimes hit a pipe, but yeah. I don't do it. Don't yeah. do edibles. I'd rather do mushrooms than edibles. Edibles. They hit me hard. <laughs> when you vape, are you doing distillate or are you doing, um, a flower, just flower of... in a mighty plus. Okay. Okay. I was going to say, I'm, I'm, uh, I like, cause I'm just much more of a concentrate person myself. I just love mm. the pure flavor of the terpenes rather mm -hmm. than the chlorophyll or, lipids or anything like that and so um i just started getting these half gram solventless rosin pens that mm. are amazing so tasty and because the distillate just gives me a fucking headache i can't smoke distillate all right no, i don't think i've ever smoked distillate no yeah it irritates my throat a little bit the distillate so yeah you know i've heard um people will spray their flowers with distillate to get higher thc testing Oof. oh man yeah i think i've got a hold of some of that flower one time and oh my gosh it, it's just it's tough to tough to uh to smoke it this what made it harsh and, and really not nice this is why you gotta grow yeah. your own man then you know that yeah, it's not yeah. sprayed with shit yeah exactly or just had, uh... that's why i like farmers markets i i really would love it more if there was farmers markets for cannabis when i was in the medical days i used to be able to do these um like private sessions and where you know somebody would hop, 
rent out an entire warehouse in like Oakland in the Bay area and they'd have security and you'd pay for a booth fee. And then there's tons of farmers there and edible makers and people selling clones and people just pay a, you know, an entrance fee. And then you come in and there's suggested donations and you got to talk to them. Hey, this is how I grew it. This is where I grew it. And you really get the opportunity to share your craft with the consumer. And nowadays it's so separated with Mm. the dispensaries where you have no idea half the time where your cannabis was grown and what style at Mm. all. I Mm. mean, if it's important to you grow your own, but we, I would really like to see uh, farmers markets introduced back into legislation because that will really, really help our farmers um, make a little bit more money and create that connection with consumers because not everybody has time um, or resources to grow their own. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. But you shouldn't have to buy corporate booth mids from, you know, True Leave <laughs> or whatever. Like you should be able to buy what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had somebody asked me the other day, you know, what I, my state was looking at medical and they were asking me, what is I interested in getting into a medical grow? And I'm like, no, there's no way unless we go to a farmer's market model, because at least the mm-hmm. farmer's market model would allow me to be direct with customers and it would bypass all the, the, I hate to say it, bullshit that the government wants me to do. Oh, yeah. May I ask, are you in the Dakotas or? No, I'm in the, in the Gulf South, around in the Gulf of Mexico area. Okay. Deep, okay. Deep South, big prohibition. Yeah, I was at a, I taught a class in Florida and I didn't realize that you're not allowed to grow home grow in Florida. Oh, no. Florida is very, very strange rules there. They say it's decriminalized. It's not really it. You know, you won't, you won't <laughs> That's get a just felony. a trick. <laughs> yeah, you won't get a felony conviction, but it'll cost you two grand if you're caught with under two ounces of it. So, yeah, it's not uh, criminalized. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see why Monkey doesn't specify which state he's in. He just yeah, says yeah. South. <laughs> I, I know lots of laws in lots of states, and they're all messed up down here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are. I actually, I'm on the border of Washington and Idaho. My whole family lives in Idaho. That's why we moved up here. And I can't live in Idaho because it is, I think, probably the most strict rules regarding cannabis right now. I mean, you're not even allowed to have hemp in the state of Idaho. It's still illegal. And it's a five-year minimum prison sentence for having one pound of cannabis. I don't that's a blows my mind that I, I just don't get it yeah and you look over there in, on the west coast right there in oregon and, and it's you know it's as, as legal and considered normal as you want you hit the cascades and you start getting into the desert and that's when it starts getting more and more and more right-wing conservative and that's where the problem you're talking about right there i don't know how you ever get through that one now because it's so entrenched that's just a hard red state it's it's really tough it doesn't even make sense to me why cannabis is aligned with red and right wing it's like don't tread on me right isn't a small government Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i'm with you i only thing i can figure it was a republican president who launched the war on drugs so they have to stand behind ronald reagan huh well actually the war on drugs was richard nixon but ronald reagan kicked it up the next notch but yeah they're both republicans and so they're both republicans and they both did is wrong with it so craziness though you know well sorry 
I was going to say, hopefully it changes because all I hear about is, oh, the damn Californians moved to Idaho, moved to Washington all the time. I hear that. I hate Californians. Go back. Like, well, hopefully (laughs) all those Californians will change some things with the weed laws. Well, see, Mackie, I want you to hear this. He's in the UK. So uh, in in the United States, we're not all Americans. You're a Californian. You're an Idaho. You know, you're an Oregonian. You know, that's the kind of thing. You're You're a Texan. There you go. You're labeled. <laughs> everybody, everybody that's not in these states says, "Yo, you're American." Well, no, that, we actually identify ourselves by our state more than the country. Mostly, when you're down here. Well, if it was Europe, they would all be different countries, wouldn't they? It's sure. like it's, it's more like Europe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like United States of Europe over here. Just there's Pretty different much. countries. They they would be more like states if it was up for the USA. Right, and the EU would be the bad guy that's keeping cannabis illegal, and that that would be our federal government. And the UK would be, I don't know, Texas. The UK <laughs> would be uh, succeeded from the, the country and on its own, maybe mm-hmm. Texas. You know, yeah, whatever. Texas. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> California has been saying that too. They've been on like, there's been, you know, things that they've promoted of like seceding and trying to get out of the US. There's no way that would ever happen. No. I mean, California alone has like the sixth best economy in the world of any mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. It produces so much money for the US. There's absolutely no way. But yeah, I don't hear it. Nobody talks about being American. I mean, you do people say I'm American, you know, but I would agree. It's definitely more your state. Yeah, you're a Floridian, or you're, you know, you're, you're from Virginia. It's you're, you're that's that's what people say. First, they ask you a question where you're from, and immediately it's a state. And then you notice that too, Mackie, with American tourists, because generally it's, it was brought to my attention from a formal pan, panel member. Americans, when we're in a foreign country and ask where we're from, we don't usually say America. We would say our state. And most people go like, well, "What's where's that?" Ah, uh, yeah, that's our yeah, identity. Is our our state identity is what, is what we do with them. I got another question here in listener mail, also from Phil, if you don't mind, though. He says, in your opinion, what is the best companion plant for your cannabis bed, uh, cannabis plants in raised pots or beds? Mm. Well, it depends on if you're inside or outside, I guess, because... I think he's inside. I, believe, I think he's inside. Okay. Inside... Honestly, I think it would just be whatever you're going to use. I think it's different for every person. So I think that the best plant would be something that you would use for something else, something that's low growing um, that you can incorporate into your kitchen. I'm not, I'm a trial and error kind of person. And so, you know, I'd say stay away from things that are known um, pest habitat, like clover, spider mites Mm -hmm. love clover. Um, they also love rosemary, even though rosemary oil is sometimes used in pest deterrence. It's very odd because the spider mites love it. Um, so really, and it depends on what you're trying to do. If you're trying to like fix nitrogen, atmospheric nitrogen with rhizobium, then maybe you go for cow peas instead of the clover, um, or a legume or peas of some sort, um, but really I, my, my whole thing is whatever you're going to use. I think that's the best. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, Phil is taking your class because I think his answer was, I use thyme and mint. So you first thing you said is grow something you can use. And both of those things are very useful. So well, I do think Phil has taken the class, hasn't he? I think he did mention maybe in San Francisco. San Diego. San Diego. Right? Oh, awesome. That's so great. Hey, Phil, thanks for coming to the class. 
<laughs> he might even cool. be in chat. I don't. I didn't even look. Uh, no, he's not in the chat today. Yeah, I think he's busy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean mint. The only thing my 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 worry with mint is that it takes over and it mm -hmm. reproduces from the rhizome. So every time you cut it, it just grows a new plant. Mm -hmm. How would you incorporate yeah. fungi into your soil? Because you say there's not a lot of uh, mycelium in potting soil. Would you be able to inject some spores into the soil, maybe? And let them grow oh yeah you could definitely it's just keeping the moisture content correct and providing food source so you know uh fungus likes to feed on lignin lignin is really high in like woody materials so mulch is super important if you don't have mulch you don't have you're not going to be able to you know, grow out those spores once you've watered them in. Mm. I like to incorporate or inoculate with fungal spores immediately, roll my seeds into some um, mycorrhiza fungi, and then, um, you know, again, touch the roots into it when I'm transplanting. And then um, once I have it going in its forever home, no more inoculation with mycorrhiza. Then I start introducing trichoderma, um, especially in late flower. Trichoderma is a super aggressive fungus and it's part of my IPM plan. I spray um, trichoderma, I water trichoderma in, it outcompetes botrytis, fusarium, PM. Mm -hmm. It does all kinds of amazing things. If you are growing mushrooms though, you need to be really um, careful about your trichoderma because yeah, it will contaminate your trichoderma. <laughs> that, that, when I was learning to grow mushrooms, I suppose I'm still learning it in a way. If you don't really just learn it all straight away, they, my first couple of uh, attempts were ruined by trichoderma. The yeah. bastard. But you know, soil yeah. loves it. So <laughs> exactly. And it's just doing its job. So mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. it has a great place in your garden. And I think that just keeping your moisture, like, Fungus doesn't like that fucking dry back. So if you're doing a dry back thing, like mm -hmm. your fungus is going to not be stoked on it. It wants nice, you know, growing mushrooms. If your substrate isn't nice and moist, soaked in, you're not going to have a good flush. It's not mm -hmm. going to produce. As soon as you add more water to that thing, bam, you can start getting a second flush and pinning again. Yep. So keep your substrate covered with mulch. That is what it's going to feed off of. I like straw. Don't get hay. Hay has the seed head. Then you're going to start growing whatever alfalfa or Timothy grass or whatever the hell kind of hay you bought. So see, potatoes starting to grow in mine sometimes because I use a vermicompost. And I think some of the seeds, are, I think it's potatoes. Anyway, I'm not exactly sure what crop it is. But little plants start to grow in my soil next to the plants. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Taking away the nutrients. <laughs> but I think it's because of the vermicompost. They uh, leave something behind, some kind of seed. I'm not sure it is. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of companion planting, like buckwheat mm -hmm. in outside, sweet alyssum, lemon balm. Um, like I said, the daikon radish. But, um, you know, keeping in mind, like, plants that don't need... Plants that can live in a shitty soil that don't feed a lot are usually good choice for companion planting with cannabis and also the root zone know that you know your cannabis plant likes to grow out on the top 
you know, it's like mm-hmm. not a super deep root plant. So, mm. um, you know, play with that. Think about what other plants you would grow. Maybe just grow along the edges of your container and do something that creeps over the side. Doesn't have to compete. Doesn't require a lot of water. Doesn't require a lot of nutrient. I mean, um, buckwheat, like I mentioned, is one of my favorites for outdoor. It attracts parasitic wasps. It reseeds itself. So you don't have to, um, and you can cut it down after like up to four times, depending on the hardiness zone that you're in. And it'll just keep coming back. Um, it also mines phosphorus from the soil and converts it into a soluble form once it decomposes. So as you're chop and drop, you know, cutting it down, you're producing, you're getting phosphorus out of the soil that would otherwise be locked up in an insoluble form and making it available to your plant. So, um, you know, there's, there's so many amazing plants that you can choose from. Mm-hmm. I've never really used cover crops. Me one, one day, one day. Well, well think about what are your, what are your microbes? They fucking, they're eating off of your root exudates, right? So if you're only having one species of plant, you're limiting yourself to mm. the microorganisms that are attracted to those root exudates. And you could have like, especially outside, you know, attract a lot wider diversity of microbes if you have more diversity and root exudates. And then you're also going to increase your terpene production because you're going to have you know, terpenes are the communication of the plant. So then you're going to see, oh, like, hey, this is my, this plant over here is producing a shitload of limonene because it's being uh, attacked by aphids. And so maybe you have like a trap plant, like a brassicus or something um, that aphids really love. And then it starts uh, producing more limonene. And then your cannabis plant is like not getting attacked by the aphids, but it senses. And so then it starts producing more limonene because it can it knows that there's more limonene in the air. It's a volatile organic compound. So Mm. you're going to get tastier weed. You're going to get more natural defenses. It's just a little bit more work. Yeah. It's a beautiful process though. And my favorite way to grow, which I've never been able to do yet, because you know, legality and all that shit uh, is to have a raised bed. I would love a four foot by four foot raised bed where I can put four plants in it and, you know, have some cover crops in there and, yeah, have it like a, a couple of feet high as well. So you can just, I could just lay, develop. And over time, the soil will be able to, I don't know, like feed itself, function itself, you know, just add nutrients so the, the bacteria can feed and the plants can feed. You just try and keep it as natural as possible like that. I think that's such a beautiful way to grow. But I've never been able to do it, unfortunately. Well, hopefully you can do it with, um, can you do it with hemp? No, no, I wouldn't even waste my time. Fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) Cannabis hemp has so many amazing benefits to it as well. I mean, and that's where I think that I wish that a lot of the farmers who are growing CBD would convert to other um, byproducts. I mean, bioplastics made from hemp, hemp fuel, hemp herd for um, aeration in your soil, clothing, um concrete the hempcrete um (laughs) i mean there's so many amazing things that cannabis hemp can do for the world for us and that's why like i was teaching um a couple years ago an introductory cultivation class and humboldt seed company sponsored it and gave me a shitload of hemp seeds and so i always tell people like 
okay, even if it's illegal where you're at, it's probably legal to grow hemp. Hemp and cannabis grow the same way. If you want the experience and you just want to grow outside, why not grow hemp and then play around with it? I mean, there's high CBG and high CBN is really good for mm -hmm. um, sleeping. And there's so many different things besides just, you know, getting high for from the THC yeah. that we can do. Billy said here in the chat, it's still illegal to grow hemp in the UK. Ah. Uh. Yeah, it's airstrip one over here. It's well, it's, it's illegal dire. to grow it here too, unless you buy a license. That's that's crazy government for you. Mm -hmm. Even with the farm bill, you still have to have a license to grow hemp. Bullshit, crazy. man. Yeah, it is crazy. Shit. Well, they want to know if you have a license, I guess, so they can come inspect it, and make sure it's just hemp. Yeah, I know some people in Oregon who get a, a hemp license and then uh, allegedly they just plant um, hemp on the outside and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> the inside is high THC because they don't <laughs> go into the center of the field. They just go out to the, the outskirts. So <laughs> Yeah, well, depending upon the hemp strain, it could look pretty much like cannabis, like regular cannabis, like we're used to seeing some of it at least. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I understand oh, yeah. why they're doing it, but it does limit deep south down here where people are still we're, we're locked back in the in the 90s still yeah one cannabis will kill you that's it one cannabis injection will kill you mm -hmm. yeah exactly. when i was going to the city council meetings they were talking a lot about how cannabis increases teen suicide that was their big thing <laughs> wow. i was like what the fuck you know what, they, how do don't they know it's the opposite <laughs> i would want to where did you get your information from what is the source of this information please you know who told you this my gosh yeah. uh, some crazy Bullshit. shit man but one day one day it will be free like a a normal plant and we'll get the the, uh, the treatment it deserves man because cannabis really is a magical plant and it needs to be respected way more than it has been mm -hmm. i agree you know, Queen of the Sun is not people think, oh, they call me Queen of the Sun and stuff. I'm like, Queen of the Sun is the cannabis plant, baby. She nice. is the queen. There's so many things that you can do with cannabis. I mean, it's amazing fodder, food, uh, oils, omega threes. Uh, it's so good for us. It's so good for the planet. Soil remediation, bioaccumulator, pulls out heavy metals. I mean, pollution, all kinds mm -hmm. of things. I wish that we would see more like okay if you're going to do conventional agriculture and you're going to monocrop these huge soybean and corn fields why not grow in between a fast uh auto flower you know crop or something in there let it pull out the pesticides let it let's do something with it then turn it into hempcrete that's going to mm -hmm. be stored away let's pull that shit out of the ground and clean things up and then turn it into a useful product just amazing how different the world would be if we, if we, you know, if they, because it definitely wasn't we, if they took a different approach to cannabis 50 years ago. Well, nearly yeah, 100 I mean, years it wasn't ago everything. now, right? That. It was in everything, though. It was in mm -hmm. literally all of our medicine was cannabis back in the day, in the, you know, turn of the century. It was in our cough syrup. It was in our, you know, for women's menstrual pains. It was in everything and then uh, a lot of people don't even know henry t ford when he came out with um the mm -hmm. you know model a and model t and all that shit he actually built one of the first cars he made was made out of hemp and mm -hmm. ran on hemp oil 
Wow. Yeah, it was a what composite happened? hemp material, something that he used in the frame of the car, if I'm not mistaken. It was crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. and it was like stronger than car, like stronger than anything else on the market at the time. Mm-hmm. And he was plan- like you said, he was planning on running all of his automobiles on on hemp oil until the petroleum industry approached him. And again, money money did it. There you go. Mm-hmm. That's right, man. And that's why that's the reason why, man. It's all come down to money and greed. That's why cannabis has been restricted for so long. You know, it does so many different things, and we can grow it in our back garden easily. They just don't want you to because they want your money rather than us to have access to cannabis. It's a farce. Mm-hmm. We've been screwed Bullshit. over for too long, but times are changing. Times are changing. So, so where where do people go to find out where your next soil class is and how do they get involved and signed up to come and join you and learn some stuff about soil? Yeah, I mean, I always am available. I mean, not always, but I try to be available as much as possible on Instagram at Queen of the Sun Grown. Um, I have an email, Queen of the Sun LLC at gmail.com. I have a website that's being worked on right now, Queen of the Sun Grown.com. Um, YouTube, same thing, Queen of the Sun Grown. And then um, if you go to growcastpodcast.com forward slash classes, that will give you a direct link to the available soil science classes that are still up on the tour. We are coming towards the end. We've been doing this for um, since last June. And so we're going to slow down after um, April. Basically, we've got Missouri and uh, Massachusetts, Boston area left on the tour. And then we're going to um, move it online and try to reach more people that way because it's just I love being in person and we'll definitely have a few more dates um, next year I'm working on an IPM class because I'm super into IPM and reducing our pesticides and how we can you know do things sustainably so that will be released at the end of you know mid next year um so yeah, just uh, contact me, any questions you have. And I am also offering a first month free on my Patreon. So I have every month um, PDF articles on, oh man, all kinds of things from hugel culture and composting to jasmonic acid. And this month I'm working on salicylic acid, which is a whole nother group of plant hormones and how to increase it and what it does. Um, I hold a weekly Discord live stream um tuesday at 4 20 pacific standard time and it's all available recipes articles live stream on my patreon and like i said first month's free you just gotta sign up and i'll refund you so i'm really just trying to spread the word and you can just come on and take all of my articles download them and save them to your computer and then quit after the first month i don't care i want you to learn and I want you to share it because what we are doing is making an impact. What you guys are doing, hosting this podcast, talking to people who are trying to make a difference. Like it's all taking us working together and just sharing. I think how many people are going to listen to this and learn something. And then they're going to take that and tell their, you know, their community of people and share that information. And that's really Mm -hmm. like just getting the word out there. Awesome. Love it. Yeah, man. We'd love to get you back on sometime as well. We can talk about IPM and go into more detail about things if you want to. If you've had a nice time. No pressure, though, of course. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I loved it. <laughs> you guys are super easy to talk to. I love your accent. 
Great. <laughs> accent? Mackie doesn't have an accent. I don't have an accent. What crazy talk is that? <laughs> Every time he gets on a, a U.S. podcast, it's the first thing they ask him about is his accent. That's something else. Yeah, so, sometimes I get confused for an Australian accent, so I, I try not to say mate so much anymore, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's been great yeah. speaking to you, and there's so much good information there. Epic conversation, man. You know, I mean, all, all round, all nice. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. I hope we can get I you back well. on soon and we can talk about more stuff because uh, no doubt there is a shitload more stuff you can also tell us. You seem very knowledgeable, including on all this stuff. Very cool. Thank you. I would love to anytime. Just let me know. Awesome. And, and I do follow Jordan on Instagram and, and I read all of his posts up there about the soil classes. And to answer your question, when he tells you to bring a soil sample on his, on his post, he never says the word small. What are you being a knock <laughs> for, bro? <laughs> So there we go everybody i hope you enjoyed this interview me and monkey definitely enjoyed it and i hope we can get alexandria back again in the future to talk about more soil stuff but let me just remind you that now we have lots of competitions going on over at percysgrowroom.com if you haven't already signed up then make sure you get signed up and get involved in some of these competitions if you are already signed up then get over there now and get involved in the heads or tails competition which is taking place where we're giving away a hlg 300 al b spec which is an epic light for veg. So check that out. Come over to Percy's, check it out, sign up, get involved in the competitions. It would be great to have you there. But uh, again, don't forget about the interview tomorrow with Graham Hancock. So download this episode, listen to it, leave a like on it, and then download tomorrow's episode too. That would be epic. But for now, that's it for the interview today. Another one tomorrow, then Grow Guides on Friday. Lots of content this week. I hope you enjoy it. Stay high, stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow. Goodbye.